Welcome back to Team Talk ESPN Radio 1017, the team here till 6 o'clock. But joining us now on the Daniels Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Cool Take Hotline is Matt Brown. He's the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. You can find his work at extrapointsmb.com. It's coverage of off-the-field forces that shape college sports from business to politics to higher education. So yesterday in the Top 5 at 5, we were talking about the Pac-12 making this big move with regard to opportunities for their student-athletes in the conference. And uh, Matt, you you wrote a whole piece on this. Talk to me about that, please. Sure. This is a very unique NIL partnership for a couple of different reasons. Uh, the Pac-12 has entered into an agreement with Twitter, with Open Doors, and with a new technology company to create special custom highlight packages for every Pac-12 football player after every Pac-12 game. They're going to do, there's different cameras in all the stadiums that are going to be you know, shooting video from multiple camera angles. So at the end of the game, each football player, whether you're a quarterback, a wideout, defensive back, lineman, everything, will have a highlight clip that they can then tweak. If they opt into the program, they tweet the highlight clip, Twitter takes it, they add some pre-roll advertising uh, to the beginning and to the end of the clip, uh, and then they are paid. Uh, it looks like a base rate of about 1200 bucks over the course of the whole season if they, if they participate after every game. And if their video clips hit certain performance benchmarks, they might be able to make even more. Yeah, this this Tempest X uh, is kind of like the the broker in all of this. I I very impressed with you know how they really thought this thing through, and they're not even reliant on uh, ESPN or Fox or or and those kind of uh, entities and these getting these these highlights. Talk to us about that, Matt. Yeah, it's important that they're not just ripping you know a, a section of the television broadcast. You know, for one. They don't own the rights to that. ESPN and Fox paid quite a bit of money uh, to be able to be the exclusive uh, television broadcasters for these games. So they're having to pay to put extra servers and extra cameras on these stadiums and also, you know, shoot what's happening away from the ball, something closer to like an A11 film um, that, 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 you know, you, you might be able to watch on an overflow channel or something. So these aren't the things that you're going to be able to see on TV, but if there's a, a ridiculous cutback block, that happens away from the immediate field of play but ends up being a significant highlight, that might be something that gets captured by these cameras. So um, kudos to the Pac-12 for uh, like being the first to announce this. Uh, how far behind are the other uh, Power 5 conferences, Matt? And so this is a good question. I had a chance to talk with a couple other folks in the industry over the past day and a half and was told that uh, maybe not with this company, but something somewhat similar is being discussed in SEC and ACC circles. But there's also a lot of industry questions about how scalable something like this is. Uh, you know, one of the concerns, and I, I checked this through Open Doors, which is the service that's you, uh, you know brokering the name, image, and likeness assets for the the, um, the video company. Most Pac-12 football players don't have very big Twitter accounts. Um, and that's because, and this might be, if you're, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, I'm a reporter, I'm a power, I'm a Twitter power user, it's easy to forget this, but most college athletes right now primarily use Instagram and TikTok as their primary social media. So, to pay them to push something on Twitter when it's going to be a challenge to drive a lot of eyeballs to video, especially since most Twitter users aren't used to watching pre-roll advertising, might be a challenge. I've talked to many analysts uh, who believe that it's going to be difficult for Twitter to actually make money on this. Um, so it may be reevaluated after a year. We'll see if other entities are willing to shoulder the risk of losing some money on the front end to potentially make it back later on. 
Well, along those lines, Matt, I mean, even just looking at this right now, everything's so short-term right now just in terms of the visions of how this is all going to change and you know, around college sports, but how much value is there, at least for right now in this, for the Pac-12 in being the first and then opening the doors, you know, we're talking about open doors, to try other things like Instagram and, and TikTok? You, well, this has to be something the Pac-12 hangs its hat on, right? You aren't going to be able to match the Big Ten or the SEC brand for brand or dollar for dollar, not through television assets, not through recruiting territories, and not through uh, the sheer star power of, of some of their institutions like other leagues. Well, you know, I think one of the major assets that you have and that the league has, I think, been trying to take better advantage of is you have access to Silicon Valley. You are in Amazon's backyard. You're in Microsoft's backyard, and you're in a lot of the venture capital part of, you know, part of the country. And so to the extent you can lean on some of those partnerships to experiment and to try things that are new should be part of the league's identity. You know, just like how venture capital works, not every one of those bets works. In fact, most of them don't. Uh, but you hope that the bets that do pay off so handsomely that they pay for all the ones that, <laughs> that, that screwed up. So maybe this is one thing not to bring you into parity with the Big Ten, but it makes sense that this would be, you know, this would be the league that should be leading the way on these kind of partnerships. What's the biggest significance in your mind of this coming from the conference as a whole rather than an individual school? Yeah, this is also something that's relatively new right now. Most of the responsibility for driving NIL opportunities has been at the institutional level, whether that's New Mexico, New Mexico State, Stanford, uh, Ohio State. You know, it's the school that hires the compliance personnel. It's generally the school that works with third-party contractors, and it's the school, you know, to the extent allowed by state law, that uh, provides education and provides some of these resources. And conferences have mostly, with a few exceptions, stayed out of the way. I think this is one of the most expansive deals, and it's something I, mean, I know that other conference offices are looking at and then thinking, okay, we have a budget, we have a legal staff, we have a marketing staff. What are some things that we could be doing collectively that provide opportunities that we can't do institutionally? And honestly, I think that that might even be more impactful at the mid-major level. It might be easier for people in the Mountain West to get together and go in on some kind of you know, larger NIL packages than trying to have every school buy their own thing given that institutions at this level don't have the same financial resources as an Oregon or a Washington. Well, and so as the conferences continue, I mean, at least as, as it looks right now, to continue to become more fractured, I mean, just whether it's Instagram videos, highlights, whatever it is, I mean, do you see that, that whatever the action is, whatever it looks like, that this could be the start of a trend in that regard, that it's coming from the conferences? Because we're all just, you know, we're still in the position of trying to figure out, you know, who's in charge, who makes the rules, and, and, and at some point everybody's just uh, doing their own thing, Matt. Hey, on, on some level, it, it's still, I think, a little bit early to say what kind of partnerships are really effective. You know, it's not uncommon for a conference to maybe decide we're all going to use Open Doors, or we're all going to use Influencer, we're all going to use the same compliance software. And that is the kind of thing that I write about, and that will save some administrators some money, but that's not the kind of thing that will sway a recruit's decision or really lead to anything substantial on the field. If after the course of this season it turns out that uh, Pac-12 football players are able to be wildly effective at driving unique video, and this program makes everybody money, and Twitter decides to scale it to 40 other people, then sure. Because a 1000 bucks is not, you know, Tennessee five-star quarterback backman money. Right. But a thousand bucks is still a lot of money. <laughs> like that's more than most Pac-12 football players will make in a single NIL deal. Period. It's it's more than 
certainly most Mountain West players will make in any single deal, and that's something that would certainly be an effective pitch, especially knowing that it's guaranteed. Um, if this works, could there be opportunities for you know something potentially similar, whether maybe maybe a, some kind of group social media deal that's not tied to to video? Maybe. Um, we're still, even though we're a year into this, we're still very much in the throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks from a marketing and branding perspective. We're talking to Matt Brown here on ESPN Radio 1017. The team, he's the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. You can find it at extrapointsmb.com. Been a a roller coaster start here for George Klyovkov as the commissioner of the Pac-12 with teams leaving, and you know he had a lot to say certainly at Pac-12 media days. But it seems like this is really a, a lot of this might not necessarily happen in other conferences, Matt. I mean, he has the the media and entertainment background. I mean, how how big is that as far as the Pac-12 trying to to keep itself uh, relevant right now? It's helpful, but I don't know if we have enough data to say that that's overwhelmingly the best thing. You know, one of the major reasons that the Pac-12 was was attracted to hiring him wasn't just that he had connections in the entertainment industry. One, he had that he had connections in the broadcast industry. He had worked for MLB Advanced Media before MGM Grand, and that he had a lot of experience in change management. He had to make a bunch of sweeping changes at MLB Advanced Media and with MGM, and the Pac-12 knew that there was going to be a bumpy transition to go from the Larry Scott era to whatever college sports 3.0 ended up looking like, and that's valuable. But we're also finding here that as much as things are changing, college sports is still a very different industry from professional sports. It requires some knowledge of administrative politics, and it requires understanding of how regents operate or how governors operate or how different professors and faculty members operate. And I don't know if if the if USC and UCLA's departure could have been prevented had the Pac-12 hired somebody a little bit more traditional. But you know, this conference's uh, struggles and the big questions that they have to answer over the next nine months aren't just about securing the bag from ESPN or NBC or some other partner. It's going to be about recruiting institutions and about retaining institutions. That, re- I mean, that, that requires lots of different skill sets. We've seen very successful commissioners come from outside the college sports ecosystem and really bad ones. We've seen really good conference commissioners come up who used to be athletic directors and really bad ones. Right. The jury's still out of what's going to happen here out west. Well, last one for me, Matt, just because we do follow your reporting and on whenever some big news happens. And wasn't that long ago that uh, you had started to hear some information about what feels like, at least as close as we've had in, in several years, still the possibility of getting NCAA football back, EA Sports, the, the video game NCAA football. Just where are we at with that, you know, as we sit here in, in early August and just kind of go into, in your mind, the allure of why this is such a big story, you know, why this is so exciting for, for, the, for people that played the video game in the past. Sure thing. So what, what I can tell you is that this game is scheduled to be released next summer. The CLC and EA Sports have, have, have communicated to member institutions, including those in this market, but that's, that's, the, that's the target, is, is July of 23. Um, what they've been doing for the last year has been reaching out to every single school and saying, hey, listen, we really want to make this the most authentic representation of your game day experience as possible because it's been a decade since we've made this game. So could you take, like, a 1,000 pictures of your stadium from every possible angle? Uh, inside the tunnel, uh, across all these different yard lines, the buildings around the stadium. Take those pictures, send it to us, so we can render your stadium in 3D. We also want you to send us every single audio asset that might be played during a football game. So we're not just asking for your fight song. 
or saying, hey, do you play something over the PA system between the third and the fourth quarters? Great. We want to know what it is. Do you have a special song that you play leading out of the tunnel as the team comes down the field? Let's hear that. Do you play a goofy sound effect on third downs? Great. Send that. Um, do you have spirit stickers? Send all that information there, too. So there, you know, and, and that's where this process has been right now as we're trying to rebuild the game. It's enormously important because even though we haven't had this for a decade, every single athletic director and coach and administrator is worried about how they can build the audience and interest for college sports for a younger generation. Most places are struggling with attendance. Most places are struggling to engage students and young people. And one of the ways that they're able to do that and build awareness for their brand is through this video game. Just like I, I think for a lot of diehard college football fans in their late 20s to early 40s probably learned about a lot of other programs throughout the country oh, yeah. through staying up too late, right? I'm playing this on PS2. Like I, 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 joke, I grew up in Ohio. And, uh, you know, it's pretty common you pick a lower-level team and you kind of build a dynasty there. There's a whole lot of people that learned about Wyoming and <laughs> Hawaii or, or HBCUs through this game, and schools understand that. So they are extremely excited for this to come back. It's, it's, the recruits are extremely excited for it. The athletes themselves are extremely excited to see them a part of this game, which is something they were in generations past. Um, and, and that's why I found that there's no level of, my, of, of minutia too small for me to report about this, the, the reader appetite for it has been voracious. For me, it was Mississippi Valley State. I'll, I'll throw one more in yeah. there for you. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, yeah. The, the home of Jerry Rice. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, Matt. Um, you know, your uh, your newsletter, uh, Extra Points, is out there. Uh, people can find more information at extrapointsmbmichaelboy.com. Uh, it's coverage of off-the-field forces that shape college sports from business to politics to higher education. Um, I know uh, you're from Ohio and you went to Ohio State. Uh, give us your thoughts on how the Buckeyes are going to do this season here, Matt. I think, I mean, this should be one of the most dangerous offenses in all college football, right? They're, they're returning... Yeah even though they lost two first-round NFL wide receivers, they're bringing almost everybody else back, and they've got a ton of five-star guys. Jackson Smith and Najigba is you know, going to be on every preseason Bolitnikoff watch list. The, the big concern is with the defense, which was not just bad for Ohio State standards over the last two seasons, but last year was, was bad, period, particularly in their inability to generate a pass rush, and they didn't really hit anybody different in the portal. They brought in the defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State, who was known to be a a well-regarded tactician in that regard. I think Alabama on paper is pretty definitively the best team in the country this year. But if you had to pick a number two, and probably the best offense is with Ohio State. Beyond there, boy, I don't think there's a big difference between your preseason number three and your preseason number 14. Dude, you should be doing some uh, national pregame coverage of the uh, of college football, Matt. You're on top of it here. Um, I do got to ask <laughs> you, as an alum of Ohio State, you know Ryan Day was was really kind of moping around not too long ago, maybe trying to do a bake sale, whatever, to to come up. He said if if they didn't get fourteen million dollars like ASAP, they'd be in trouble. Uh, were they able to get to that? My hunch that uh, they were. Um, this is one of those things that is weirdly being kept close to the vest, as you might imagine. And, and one of the things that's a real struggle in NIL reporting is that it's really difficult to confirm any of this information, right? So Ryan Day gets up there and says, it's going to cost about $13 bucks in NIL money to retain this roster, not to recruit any new players, but to keep the people I've already got from transferring. 
Well, where did you get that? I mean, I'm sure he talked to the recruits and he probably talked to other coaches, but is there any way to independently verify any of that information? Right. No. And, you know, and I can tell you, because I know some of the places where coaches get some of this information, that's wrong because agents representing athletes have no incentive to tell the truth. Um, these coaches read recruiting message boards just like everybody else, and a lot of that information is not the truth. So maybe it was $13 million, Maybe it was six. Maybe it needs to be 18. Like there, there's the, the fact that it's difficult to be able to, to verify any of this is, is a real challenge. I can say that Ohio State has multiple NIL collective groups. Yeah. There's a lot of institutional money in that market. But uh, I, I would also say that they are not trying to play the same NIL collective recruiting game that Tennessee or Texas or Texas A&M or, Han- or Miami, for that matter, are trying to play. Um, and that is, to the best of my knowledge, mostly true throughout the Big Ten. There's still money being thrown around there but it's mostly being directed to people already on the roster rather than high schoolers to come aboard. Gotcha, and that makes sense, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us here in Albuquerque on Team Talk, and like I said, we'll reach out to you again uh, throughout the course of the college football season for sure. Uh, Matt Brown, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Sellers, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you very much. All right, Matt. Uh, that's the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. You can find his work at Extra Points, M as in Michael, B as in boy, dot com, Extra Points, MB, dot com. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for us this afternoon. Uh, we're going to take you to Bush Stadium for the Yankees and Cardinals, followed by the Padres at Dodgers right here on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. Thanks for listening to Team Talk on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. 1017 The Team is your home for New Mexico United, the Dallas Cowboys, LA Dodgers, and much more. ESPN Radio 1017 The Team, your New Mexico owned and operated station.